Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of Taco Rice. My name is Robert Pomacell, and I'm sitting here with my fellow Gale podcast members. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Hi, my name is Jasmine Chang. I'm Jesse Haupt. And I'm Shanley Sullivan. And we're the podcasting arm of the Gale Project here at UCSC. Our goal here with Talk Rice is to give you, the audience, a taste of the inner workings of the Gale Project. Right. We're not just going to be talking about what we're doing with the project, but rather how we're doing it. Kind of like a behind-the-scenes tour. We are, after all, a bunch of students really learning what it's like to do actual historical work, so showcasing the learning process is most likely going to be the main goal. There will still be history, of course. Because any podcast without history will probably be history real soon. to separate our experiences in the Gale Project from the historical research that we do, and I feel like it would be kind of silly to try. Speaking of which, it would probably be helpful if the audience knew exactly what kind of experiences we're talking about. What do you mean? You know, we should probably explain what the Gale Project actually is. That's a good point, Jesse. It's sort of difficult to capture what this project is in simple terms. It has a pretty tremendous scope. Well, we should probably start with the basics then. What kind of basics? Something like the name of the podcast. Why are we called Taco Rice? You know, what exactly is Taco Rice? There's actually an interesting story behind that. We really didn't know what it was at first either. Oh, which story is that? Is it from when the Gale Project first went to Okinawa? Yeah, although we weren't there, so it might be difficult for us as the podcasting team to tell it. It's better from someone who was there anyway. Didn't you talk to one of the people who went on the trip, Robert? I actually did. I sat down with our advisor, Tosh, as well as Professor Christie the other day, and we had a conversation about this. And, you know, I think it's the perfect way to explain what taco rice really is. During the early days of the Gale Project, Back when it was originally a small group of students in a seminar class studying Okinawa, Alan Christie, a history professor here at UCSC and co-director of the Gale Project, organized a trip to the island with a small portion of those students. The purpose of this trip was to study and examine various aspects of the island to gain a more intimate understanding of the history they were working with. It was also meant to explore the feasibility of bringing a potentially larger group of students to the island someday for historical work, so it was largely experimental in many ways. As a result, the trip was a lot less structured, and that allowed for a more free-flowing approach to the agenda. This led to the suggestion to give Taco Rice a try. I asked Tosh, who advises the podcast production here in the Gale Project, to describe what exactly went into this peculiar Okinawan meal. It was, it is, it is, it's still a dish. It was meant to be something that is familiar to the servicemen, the American servicemen. And so somehow, one of the restauranters got a hold of some taco meat, which was basically this ground beef in a can, and put that over a bed of rice, kind of like a donburi. So a donburi is, is a Japanese dish where it's rice in a bowl and you put things on top of it. And so that's kind of what this is. It's a plate of rice with the taco meat on top and lettuce on top of that, tomato, and some cheese. That is taco rice. It's certainly a strange concept to those who have never experienced it. Various taco ingredients all placed on top of a plate or bowl of rice? Honestly, there doesn't really seem to be anything wrong with that combination on paper. There's nothing to really put anyone off from it, so as my advisor Tosh says, why not give it a shot? We did go to outside of Camp Foster, 
And so, you know, thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, it could be pretty good. It sounds like a good idea, right? Because, you know, I make chili and I put chili over rice. I've had chili over rice in Hawaii. I thought, well, that's usually pretty good. That's generally, you know, you put anything over rice and it's generally good. You know, chili on rice, so there you go. Of course, food is often a lot more than merely the taste. As with many foods, taco rice holds a sort of cultural weight in Okinawan and even broader global society. Everything in this fusion meal, down to its fundamental components, packs a much more meaningful punch than it is often given credit for when one takes the time to examine the context in which it was created. Some of the most important elements of understanding context are the when and the where. So let's start with the when. When was taco rice first served? The, oh, the when. I think it was 80s. It was like mid-80s, like mid-80s. Exactly why the dish was created is often more speculative, but there are certainly possible reasons for its inception. When you think of American food, what comes to mind? Is it tacos or is it pizza? Is it, right? So this kind of common food for Americans that they would find pleasing, that they would find interesting, that they would find easy to eat, and yet made with local, well, local ingredients, right? So local ingredients, I have no idea where that first can of taco meat came from, right? It was some sort of leftovers from somewhere. And I said, you know, they, they like this stuff. Somebody told these people that made that first round of taco rice, you know, Americans like this stuff. The background and history certainly makes it a compelling piece of Okinawan culture to take a closer look at. So the group decided to give it a shot, but they decided to not just stop at any restaurant. They wanted the original. So the way we had it, we did go to the original restaurant that serves taco rice. And so we go there and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be awesome. This is toward the end of the day. We had had a long day. And we go to the restaurant and the outside of the restaurant, you know, it's got one of those signs that say, hey, the original taco rice. And I'm getting stoked. Like, yes, this is it. This is going to be the original taco rice, right? So we go in the place and we open the door and it smells like cafeteria. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, I'll, I'm going to continue to go with it. And everything was just kind of sad. It was like it was a, a really hip hop restaurant and now it's kind of a nothing. And there were these two ladies behind this counter. They didn't look none too happy to see us. We ordered the taco rice. And yeah, it, it was like going to the cafeteria. I mean, the rice was okay. But, you know, you, you put that kind of gnarly canned meat on it. And they were, you know, I, I was looking behind the counter and I'm like, yeah, that's a big pot of meat. But I see the cans where they take it out of. The lettuce was iceberg. The, uh, the tomato was, nah, it was red. I think you could technically call it a tomato. And then it was like, you know, government cheese, like shredded government cheese on top. It can be incredibly disappointing when something one is excited about doesn't pan out so well. But what exactly was such a letdown about taco rice? The ingredients don't sound too appetizing, sure, but I believe the atmosphere can have a huge role in hampering a meal's enjoyment. I just felt kind of sad. I felt kind of sad because those ladies looked sad too and they weren't happy to see people. The inside of the restaurant felt very 60s. It had these kind of low tables and like red vinyl covered booth seats and ashtrays everywhere. And I'm like, whoa. Okay, so that part's like, that's Japan. Their ashtrays are everywhere, you know? And it wasn't clean, like pristine clean. It was kind of dingy. So it was more like, yeah, there have been a lot of people in there who smoked. And it was just a buildup of cigarette smoke on the wall. Outside the restaurant, so after we ate, we did take a little walk around there. And it felt a little dirty. It was kind of dark. There were an, uh, a couple of strip joints, which were, were in direct contrast to what we were used to seeing in Naha. So Naha was extremely br brightly lit, very clean. 
Uh, didn't see any of that kind of activity there. And it, and it kind of felt like, it felt like San Isidro. San Isidro is on the border of Tijuana and California. It felt like a border town. So it was, it was really an in-between space. It didn't feel like Japan. It didn't feel like the United States, right? So it didn't feel like base. It didn't feel like Japan. It was in between somewhere. So it was like, it really did feel like a number of towns that I've been to, even in the United States, that are just outside the gate. An atmosphere like that looming over you as you give a dish like taco rice a try for the first time can really sour the taste of even the best renditions of it. With military bases so plentiful on an island spanning only about 70 miles across, it's hard not to notice the effects on those in their shadow. I really started to understand a little bit more about what the influence of, of the American bases is be outside of, of the fences, outside of the politics. Really got to see a little bit more of how local businesses are catering to American service people. And it, I felt bad for the folks who were living there because that was their livelihood. They were serving these servicemen. And it, did, and it, it didn't feel like they were treated very well all the time. In this respect, something like taco rice comes to symbolize something much less savory than the ingredients would normally entail. For Tosh, taco rice could be seen as a manifestation of the omnipresent military bases on the island. It is, after all, a food that was created to appeal to the military servicemen's taste when they leave the base served by the surrounding Okinawan populace. As an American observer, Tosh seemed a little bit disheartened. Yeah, I, I felt badly that Americans were there. I felt badly as an American seeing the influence that Ameri other Americans had on this town. It felt like being a part of the invading force. After an experience like that, it can certainly have an effect on how one interprets taco rice as a symbol. I'm not quite sure why it was so disappointing because I don't think I was expecting something that's going to be, oh, it's going to be gourmet and it's going to be super tasty and something that is going to harken back to, one, tacos, or two, you know, Japanese food. And it, for me, it symbolizes this blend of foods that is neither. It's someplace in between for me of a Japanese food or and an American food, and it seems to be the lowest common denominator of each. Ooh, his experience seems kind of unpleasant. I agree with Jasmine. His experience did seem kind of unpleasant, so that really begs the question, why are we called taco rice? Well, just like in history, there's more than one perspective. The interpretation of something depends a great deal on the context. For example, Tosh did mention it was a long day. Yeah, what exactly happened on that day? You know, I talked to Professor Christie about that. Let's hear what he has to say about that then. Yeah, when Tosh said it was a long day, there, there was a lot that you could unpack from that word long. This was a day in which we had uh, all six of us gone up to the north, to Hanako, which is the, one of the central places for protest in Okinawa today. And uh, three of us, Maddie, Ray, and myself, had spent the day on the beach with the protesters, while the other three, Nate, Tosh, and Connor, had been going around the area, scouting locations, seeing if they could locate some of the picture locations. But it was a day in which all of us had been really thinking a lot about Okinawan protest against the bases, right? 
So the very first or second full day in Okinawa, we'd gone to the war museums down in the south, and we'd, we'd seen a whole lot of stuff about how the war, it continues to linger in Okinawa as a powerful memory that really guides how people think about things. And then this day, we'd gone up to Hanako to see the protests. So it was a day in which we were really, really aware of the sentiment in Okinawa, the, the frustration that not only had decades of protests against the base has not resulted in a, in a base reduction, but that there was, in fact, going on a plan for base expansion still in 2014. So we had spent the day, in other words, with people who were feeling really frustrated and talking with people who were you know, making the case that the bases needed to be removed. So when we went to the restaurant that originated uh, Taco Rice, you know, it's right outside the gate of Camp Schwab. And so it was with that state of mind that we arrived at the restaurant with Camp Schwab looming over us just across the street. Even if one doesn't realize it, being caught in the middle of an island-wide protest can have a big effect on the general mood, though, in many ways, it only seemed to amplify the already eerie atmosphere in the surrounding area. It did, after all, seem to be a place lost in time. The setting of the restaurant had a feeling of not being at its peak. You know, you're in a place that is well past its peak. The furniture is looking a little worn, and, you know, the tables are low, and it's got this feeling, if you've ever been in one of these in Japan, of a snack. A snack is a bar that you go to late at night and you drink whiskey and you have these crummy snacks that you eat along with it and you're having conversations with friends. And it feels like, you know, the furniture was at its peak in the 1970s and here we are 40 years later, right? So you feel like you're out of time in a sense, I think. So for me, one of the feelings about the interior of the restaurant was very much the feeling of having stepped into a different moment in time. The off-putting aura of the town didn't seem to dampen Professor Christie's appetite, however. But again, as I said, I thought the, the taco rice was personally perfectly fine. And again, as we were eating, I was very hungry, so I had my head down, shoveling the food in my mouth. And I looked up at one point, and everyone was sort of playing with their food with their spoons, not really eating it with any gusto. And my first response was sort of, you know, are you going to finish that? <laughs> <laughs> so that I could perhaps, because I was just hungry. And then, and then it was dawning on me that everyone was having... It wasn't living up to their hopes and expectations of what the food might be. Maybe he's just not a connoisseur of fine cuisine, though perhaps different factors are at play. When it comes to historians like Professor Christie, the history of a place, or in this particular case of food, can affect their perception in many ways. You know, the story about the invention of taco rice that relates that in the 1980s when this was being invented, the purchasing power of the dollar was in decline relative to the yen which meant that soldiers' pay, which is in dollars, is going less far once they leave the base, right? So they don't have a whole lot of money they can spend. From the business owner's side, the Okinawans who have created businesses that really rely on clientele coming from off the base, this is a disaster, right? right? Your business might shudder. And so there's a way of telling a story in which this is a kind of last-ditch effort on the part of these businesses to come up with something that they can sell to the Americans and keep the flow of dollars coming into their business. You could tell the story, in other words, as a story about Okinawans trying to save their businesses. But I also think there's there's a story in here that's also worth mulling over, which is that in order to invent taco rice, they had two conditions that they knew they had to, they had to meet. It had to be cheap. And then they thought it should be something that reminds them of home, right? Because in purely pragmatic terms, they're gambling that that's the thing that will bring them to the restaurant. But at the same time, it's a recognition, I think, that the soldiers are feeling out of place, that these soldiers are people who might be feeling homesick, they might be feeling lonely, and if we give them taco rice, this might be something that would make them feel better. And I don't want to make this story 
necessarily into a one-sided, you know, this is a story looking out on empathy for American soldiers. But I also think the story told without that empathetic side doesn't quite get at what's going on either. Knowing this, the context of the invention of talco rice becomes a bit more complicated. Local Okinawan restaurant owners, on top of any business-related decisions, may have begun serving the dish in an attempt to reach out to the soldiers on base. I think one of the reasons that I think about that is the number of conversations I've had with Okinawans who talk about their empathy for the soldiers. Now, on the one hand, there's, there have been crimes committed by American soldiers over the years, and many Okinawans are upset about those crimes. And they want people to know that one of the costs of living next to all these bases is a particular kind of crime. And then at the same time, what I've found consistently amongst many people that I've spoken with in Okinawa is a recognition that you don't blame the soldiers for the bases. (laughs) The soldiers are people with whom you can have good relations as well. And so there are a bunch of people um, that I've spoken with, Chibana Shoichi, very famously, who said that he enjoyed hanging out with the soldiers in bars and whatnot, that he had nothing against them personally. So perhaps Takarais is a story of empathy. Okinawans may have created the dish in order to provide comfort to the many American military servicemen who are a long ways away from home. However, in this story of understanding, shades of Okinawan empowerment can be seen peeking through. In this respect, maybe talco rice is a form of retaking agency. Yeah, so I tend to see it as a great example of agency. Okinawans taking things in the world. Some of them are theirs, some of them are not theirs assembling them in a, in a way that becomes an expression of how they engage with the world. History, as we mentioned, plays an incredibly important role in this view as well. There's a, you know, a well-circulated story in Okinawa about what Okinawa's distant past means for who Okinawans are, and that they're a very small island that doesn't really have necessarily the capacity to become a, a major productive power, or certainly not a military power but that Okinawans survived in the world by engaging in trade, carrying the trade in East Asia from Java and the Philippines to Korea to China and Japan. The Okinawans were in some ways the cosmopolitan ones of the 14th and 15th centuries. The Japanese aren't leaving, the Koreans aren't leaving, the Chinese aren't leaving. You know, none of these people are leaving their their places. It's the Okinawans who go to that place and they pick up that good there and they carry it over to there, right? It's thanks to Okinawans that we have kimchi, because it's Okinawans who introduce, via this entrepot trade, really? peppers to Korea. So taco rice may be a way for Okinawans to resurface an identity so strongly held throughout their long history. Through its many centuries as a trading hub, Okinawa has been a place for an amalgamation of cultures, much like the dish of taco rice. This could be why taco rice has become one of the many symbols of Okinawa itself. And tourism in Japan in general, one of the keys to tourism is the generation of goods that can be purchased as representative of the place. So there's, you know, there's a souvenir anywhere you go in the world that has tourists, there's souvenirs from that place that are meant to be characteristic of it, right? In Japanese tourism, one of the really very common items that you look for is locally distinctive food. And maybe it's not the most delicious dish in the world, (laughs) at least at that restaurant. But as you know, now you go to a Japanese grocery store and you can buy a kit to make taco rice and it is Okinawan food. It's a marker of the distinctiveness, the distinct contribution that Okinawans can make to global culture. So what does this mean for taco rice as a symbol? Maybe it's a symbol for the all-encompassing presence of the U.S. military. 
It could be a story of the necessities and struggles of the soldiers and local Okinawans coming together to create something new. Or perhaps a tale of Okinawan agency fits better. There's no right answer, and that's not a bad thing. The American-Okinawan dialogue is a complicated one, and much like the work we do as historians, it's never black and white. Taco Rice is just one of many stories. Examining the various aspects of a dish like taco rice can cause one to overlook the most important elements of experiencing the meal. Mainly questions like, would you ever eat it again? I would go back, yeah. I'd in fact like to see what it'd be like at lunchtime. I'd like to see what it'd be like on the weekend. I really do think, because we were the only ones in the restaurant at that time, right? And the streets were shuttered and dark and slightly scary. And because of the demonstrations, the, the island that day felt keenly the political problem. So it was, a, it was a day in which one felt all that stuff. So there might be better days. And then I, I have a high tolerance for food that's just not that exciting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's, I mean, look, burritos are great and they can be complex and whatnot, but I love a $5 burrito. Like you could probably get a great $20 burrito at some, you know, artisanal burrito place in San Francisco or something like that. But sometimes good, solid food. Right. I 100% agree with you, but maybe it's because I'm a college student. Yeah, maybe I never lost that. <laughs> <laughs> and Tosh? No, no, I was so put off by it that I, I yeah, it was the, I, I, I could have, yeah, mm-hmm. I had it once and that's enough and that's okay. Not, not, not flavors that I'm chasing. I guess the taste was a big factor too. And that's the story of Taco Rice. Wow. I think that's such a thought-provoking story to hear. I think it's great, too. In a way, it sort of epitomizes what we're really about here. It really does. You could say that all of the things we're researching are sort of a taco rice story in their own way. Yeah, the history of Okinawa, especially with the U.S. military presence, really becomes entangled with the American side of things. It's kind of hard to separate when the Okinawan side ends and where the American side begins. What other stories do we have to tell? You'll just have to keep listening to find out. You know, all of our members have some amazing stories to tell, so it's going to be fun to listen to what they have to say. We've got some other great things in store for the podcast, too, all leading up to our show in April. Hopefully people will stay on for the ride. It's going to be fun. All right, uh, I think we're almost out of time here. Yeah, but we'll be back soon with our next episode. That's right. We'll be back with another steaming serving of taco rice in no time. Gale Project. That was recorded, by the way. Hi. <laughs> <laughs>